podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to Tennis Unfiltered with me, James Gray of inews.co.uk. Once again, live from Melbourne. Uh, and I have kept my fluff night up very late. Uh, Eleanor Crooks of the Press Association is going to join me to look back at... I mean, uh, I always say a dramatic day, Eleanor, but it was kind of a dramatic day, wasn't it? It was, Yeah, certainly if you were a, a British tennis fan, I think it was a, a dramatic day and a, a pretty successful day, has to be said. Yeah, I, I did wake up with a premonition. I just, I, t- I woke up with a, just a phrase in my mind, total wipeout. <laughs> like, because I genuinely thought, what if they all lose? And I could see how they could all do it. And I don't know, maybe it's just because there's loads of injuries going around at the moment and a few other bits and pieces... I just thought, there's a way they can all do this. But, uh, as Eleanor says, it was a pretty successful day overall. Only Dan Evans, of all the Brits in action, uh, going out. And that was actually in quite thrilling and and kind of expected circumstances. Um, But the real big story from today, and actually, we tried to take our British hat off earlier and think, is that really the biggest story of the day? But Jack Draper really is the biggest story of the day. Um, He had never played a five-setter, incredibly, before today. Uh, He played his first one in 33-degree heat. He came through it somehow. We all thought he might not. He had a medical timeout after two sets. He went and disappeared off the toilet after three when he was two sets to one down. And then he came back and only lost two more games to win in five. Uh, He promptly shook hands with Marcus Giron and uh, trotted off to vomit into a bin. (laughs) <laughs> which I don't think I've ever seen on a tennis court. And maybe in Bolton League that happens more often than... Uh... Well, in the cutthroat world of Bolton League, yeah, I have to say there's a lot of courtside vomiting goes on. No, I don't think I've... I have seen people vomit courtside before, but never quite like that. It was the way that he looked for the bin. You could see as he was going to shake hands, he was panicking, thinking, oh no. And <laughs> he was beckoning Marcus Giron, please come and shake my hand. And then he shook hands and sprinted to the courtside bin. So he did make it, which uh, good for him. But I'm sure that Jack Draper wouldn't have wanted uh, the headlines to be to be all about him vomiting, but unfortunately they are. I mean, at least it said Jack Draper vomits into a bin after winning Absolutely. at the Australian Open. Yeah. I mean, I, I do get the impression, Eleanor, like we, you know, and, and someone literally said, here we go again, when the medics were out after two sets mm. and, you know, he had his blood pressure and pulse taken. It was a year ago here that he cramped off the two sets against Rafa Nadal. You know, we all know how many injury problems Jack's had and also just how many, you know, fitness-related retirements he's had. But this this feels like quite a seminal moment in the career of Jack Draper, doesn't it? It does, yeah. I think, firstly, that he didn't cramp and the fact that he was struggling after two sets and yet he managed to play five sets and he didn't cramp, I think that's a really big moment. He obviously struggled in the heat it it was hot I mean it wasn't extreme I think it was about 31 degrees so I'm sure most players will have played in in hotter than that but he was playing right in the heat of the day there was absolutely no shade on the court he was playing on and it, it was tough they were having really long rallies Marcus Giron's from California and I imagine has been running around in heat like this all his life whereas Jack Draper has not <laughs> so that's got to be a factor as well but no I think as long as he recovers all right I think he really will see that as actually 
a positive experience. He, I mean, he said afterwards, look, I don't want to be out there struggling to breathe, not being able to concentrate on my tennis. And I see that. But the fact was he, he came through, he won, he stood up, he did all the right things and he got there. Mm. It, it, and it was, if we talk about the tennis for a moment, we'll talk about lots of other things. And um, as regular listeners know, tennis is the last of our concerns, sometimes <laughs> on tennis unfiltered. But I mean, you and I stood next to each other because court eight, the court Jack was playing on was small. Grandstand of maybe, I don't know, 200, 250 people. So it was pretty mobbed and we basically just didn't break stride and walk to an area of the court that I'm pretty sure we're not allowed to Absolutely. be in. Absolutely, and you nearly <laughs> did get killed by a Draper serve. Yes, yeah, I did. Though I, I took a deflection on the way through and therefore I didn't take the full brunt of it. Um, but we stood there and tried to hide in the shade and it was hot. But I think, and I always say this, and podcast listeners will be bored of me saying it, Tennis up close is really, really impressive. Yeah. And Jack Draper up close, especially because of where we were in his forehand corner when he was down that end, the way he runs into that corner and hits the defensive forehand with so much pace, I think it's one of the biggest skills he has. Yeah, he can turn defence into attack. You kind of look at him, you think, big guy, you know, yes, he's going to smack the ball, but is he going to be able to defend? But he can really defend. And as you say, he he has this wide open stance, but on both sides. Mm. But it's really robust, and he can really get to balls that you don't expect him to, but then send them back with interest. And he won quite a lot of rallies like that. Mm. And yeah, Marcus Giron, not a player that I pretended to know a huge amount about before the match. Um, he's obviously been around a decent amount of time and kind of knows his way around the tour. I spoke to uh, Henry Patton, who, and if you've not listened to our episode with Henry Patton from a couple of days ago, I recommend you go and listen. He's a very intelligent, very interesting chap. But he watched the first set with Calvin um, in in the player's box, I guess, such as it is on that court. And I bumped into him. I said, what do you think? And he's like, I've never seen someone return that well for a set. And it's true. I went and looked at the stats. And I think in that first set, Marcus Sheeran made 33 out of 38 returns, which is crazy stats. And I guess... In the context of what we know then happened, it it explains what was going on. That was a physical first set, and it, it kind was of really physical. kind of set up everything that went after it. Um, what's weird is it wasn't that long match. No, it wasn't. I mean, partly that's because the the fourth set was six love mm. and was probably about twenty minutes, um, and the yeah the second set I don't think was very long. But yeah, the first set was very physical, and and you could see during that set that. Jack, he wasn't struggling at that point, but he was he was breathing. You could tell it it was taking a lot out of him. So mm. it wasn't it wasn't particularly surprising to see him feeling the heat. Maybe surprising it was after two sets. But what was most interesting, I think, and we've talked about this, is is what Jack said in the in the press conference and about how uh, yes, it of course it was hot and it was a physical match, but he feels it's more the stress of a Grand Slam of playing a first round of of the attention and the expectation you have on yourself and, and that that manifests itself in a physical reaction with him. Mm. Yeah, it really was interesting the way he spoke about it. I mean, Jack's a good talker. You know, he's only, what, 22, but I think maybe because of his upbringing, you know, his father was obviously head of the LTA and, he kind of you know, he's grown up maybe in a more... not He has to use the corporate because it had negative connotations, but, you know, in a grown-up world maybe... Um, and he, he is a good talker because of it. And he said every player feels it, that the anxiety involved, and every player has different kind of ways they struggle with it. For me, it's like my breathing starts to really struggle. I can't get the oxygen in me. Uh, that's obviously a difficult point when you're playing. You're not only playing the guy, you're almost competing against yourself 
because you're not obviously feeling 100, 100%. I mean, you can see that on the court with Jack yeah. sometimes. And you said it, actually, because he, he walked right past us. Yeah, I walked, I walked past him. as the, I mean, I nearly walked into him. As he <laughs> was walking to the court, and he looked, he did look very tense. I mean, I think, obviously, having reached the, the final in Adelaide last week, I think he will expect an awful lot from himself this week. He knows this is a good chance for him and he knew this was a decent draw for him and he would have expected to win that match. And I think he obviously puts the pressure on himself and, and he needs to find a way to just maybe stay a bit more relaxed, a bit more loose. But I think also that comes with experience. We forget actually that Jack Draper, although we kind of think of him as, as somebody who's been around for a few years now, he's actually missed a lot of Grand Slams and he really hasn't played many Grand Slam matches at all. So this is all a, a pretty new experience for him. Yeah, and, and he, you know, funny enough, I, I asked Emma Raducanu to, to kind of compare and she, she sort of said exactly that. She kind of said, well... Well, she kind of flexed on him and said, well, <laughs> well, I served out the US Open and that was fine. But, you know, she was right. She's like, it doesn't get easier, but I've done it a lot and that helps. And, and actually, I went back and looked and I hadn't thought about it, but Jack kind of said the same thing about Djokovic. He's like, well, look, he, I'm sure he feels all those same things, but he's been through it lots yeah. of times. And I, I think he will gain so much from having been through that. Um, I think he will also gain a tremendous amount from what happened on Match Point, which... It, I, I never, I don't really know how to think about it or feel about it. But anyway, I'll tell you what happened. So as I said, we were stood in that back corner and I went back for the fifth set and it was a convenient place to be. And it's obviously right next to the towel box. And I'm always conscious when you're stood somewhere that a player's going to notice you of just trying to remain part of the background, you know, kind of motionless. I kept my sunglasses on even though I didn't need them just because I didn't want him to think I was looking at him in a particular way or whatever. And... Um, then it went love 40 at 5-2 and he's walking over to pick up his towel and I, I could just feel my head nodding gently because I just thought, I just want him to know that I'm not, I, I can see what's happening and, you know, it's good. And he was doing this thing for the whole, of, pretty much the whole of the last set where he would go to the corner, put his hands on his thighs and double over and just pant and then kind of mop his brow and get up again. And he did that and he's obviously like a foot away from me. I was like, I'm just going to ignore this and pretend it's not there. And then his little head just pops up and he sticks out his fist at me. And I just thought, I didn't really know. So I just sort of touched his fist and I went, you got this? <laughs> which, which in fairness he did. Um, but unfortunately he did lose the next point. And I just, my heart went racing and I was like, if he loses this match, it's 100% my fault. Uh, fortunately he took the second match point. And then obviously what happened, happened. Jog, handshake, vomit. And then the most spectacular cramp I've ever seen. I know we said Jack didn't cramp, but he did have one. He took his shirt off and just looked down at his torso, magnificent as it is. And there was just one abdominal muscle, proud. And I asked him about it afterwards and he was like, that was cramp. It was rock solid, one muscle cramping. Um, it's good to know that it can happen to anyone and anywhere. He did say, oh, you know, it was rock hard. I felt like saying, I suspect your abdominal muscles, Jack, are probably pretty solid as it is, but um, that might not have been very appropriate for a press conference. Um, he's through to the second round. He faces Tommy Paul, who he absolutely gubbed in Adelaide. Um, I mean, the big challenge, Eleanor, you kind of alluded to, it, is going to be pulling up. Mm. It, 
it's a big it's a big ask, isn't it? It is a big ask. I mean, we both saw him in the press conference, and it it has to be said he, he wasn't looking the most healthy. I mean, <laughs> he recovered pretty well from how he was on the court, I have to say. But uh, yeah, he's uh, his physical team have, have got a lot of work to do tomorrow. He said he's hoping to to maybe hit a little bit just to uh, keep in that rhythm. I mean, hopefully, the thing is, it's it's not an injury or anything, mm. and if he gets fluids in him the right food has a good sleep then it it is amazing how the body can actually recover uh he's got through that match now he's going in it's a completely different scenario yes he's beaten tommy paul before but tommy paul is the 14th seed there isn't the same maybe pressure on him and also crucially i think it's supposed to be about 10 degrees cooler so so hopefully by Thursday, he will at least be in, in shape to play the match. And, and also, actually, in the fifth set, he, he played pretty well. He mm. Physically, he, he looked, until the vomit incident, he looked, he actually looked pretty good. He was getting to balls again. So, mm. uh, yeah, I don't think there's too much reason to think that, you know, he'll turn up and, and not be able to compete at all. We just have to see, obviously, if it goes long again, then it could be an issue. And he actually said something quite similar himself. He's like, I feel better. I felt better in the fifth set than did in the first. And and that kind of, you know, comes back to it was a, physiolo- a psychological and physiological reaction to a situation rather than actual kind of lack of fitness. Um, uh, I'm in danger of committing a didsbury here, um, which is uh, <laughs> tennis writers speak for getting ahead of yourself due to a Davis Cup tie when Britain really threw it away once in didsbury in Manchester. Um, but if you look at Jack Draper's draw, he has Tommy Paul, who he has beaten recently. He then potentially has Mayamir Kekmanovic, who he beat in a three-and-a-half-hour epic in Adelaide. Uh, and then it's maybe Carlos Alcaraz. I mean, look, <laughs> forget Alcaraz. It's the fourth round. If Jack makes the fourth round yeah. of the Australian Open, it's mission accomplished for this year. Um, but, it, you know, there's an opportunity there. Um, the same could be said for Cam Norrie, by the way, who came through yeah. uh, against Juan Pablo Varias very comfortably today. 6'4", 6'4", 6'2". First on, 15'73". It was hot, it was bouncy, it was windy, it was all the things Cam Norrie loves it to be and everyone else hates it to be. Um, I mean, he said he had a wrist injury coming in. He didn't, did he? Uh, Well, I mean, (laughs) he certainly didn't have one that appears to be affecting him now, that's (laughs) for sure. Uh, No, I mean, he, yeah, he was Cam Norrie, wasn't he? He was the Cam Norrie we know. Mm. And frankly, that's about uh, as good as you can hope for in the first round of a Grand Slam. It was all... All very business-like, no real alarms whatsoever against, it has to be said, you know, a, a fairly limited opponent in the, the scope of, of the players who are in this draw. So, uh, yeah, absolutely business business done for today. Uh, yeah, the second round is quite intriguing, I think, against Giulio Zeppieri, who I can't say I know too much about, but young Italian uh always at the moment anyway makes mm. you think oh probably quite dangerous <laughs> and comes has come through qualifying so you know has has matches in his legs and um cam has lost him before i can't yeah. remember where he said it was Rome, i think he said yeah i mean obviously I, maybe not too relevant well but. you say that but like you know it, it, there are similarities between australian hardcore and the conditions and the conditions in Rome. You know, Rome generally is pretty windy. It's pretty tough in that respect. As you say, it's going to get a bit colder here in the next couple of days, which 
may change conditions, but it might make them pretty heavy, especially with yeah. these balls, you know. They... Yeah, which I don't think Cam, Cam won't want that. Well, no, he exactly. He likes the, the hot and the, the, the flying balls. Yeah. yeah so that could be a, a more tricky match than, than we think it looks like. Um, let's move on to the women's draw because, uh, of course, Emma Raducanu uh, was back in action today. Another one who we thought might be injured coming in, but showed very few ill effects today. She beat Shelby Rogers 6-3, 6 2, uh, her best victory by games lost since beating Danka Kovinic at Indian Wells last year. Which, uh, well, I certainly think Indian Wells is the best Emma has played since the US Open, yep. um, particularly that win against Beatrice Haddad Meyer, which um, I think was the best tennis she possibly ever played because I don't think, you know, the US Open assigned anyway. Um, Shelby Rogers, obviously, Elna hasn't played for no. six months. It, I think. I don't. I think there are three or four players in the draw that we could have handpicked for Emma that would have been better. But Shelby Rogers. <laughs> oh, I'm, not definitely... sh- I'm not sure there were. <laughs> to be honest, I have to say is. I mean, Emma did absolutely everything that you could have asked of her today. Um, so absolutely no criticism of her, of her whatsoever. But uh, yes, yeah, Shelby Rogers really looked like a player who hadn't played a match for six months, and uh, she didn't make life particularly difficult at all for Emma. There were a lot of errors out there. Um, but thirty-five to be exact. Okay. Yeah, and it looked it really did feel like that type of match. But I thought Emma was good. She was very very contained. She moved well. She didn't go for too much because she really didn't need to. Uh, yeah, and it was just all very straightforward, which after, as we know, <laughs> Emma's career so far has been anything but straightforward. So uh, I think uh, she would certainly take a, a nice, comfortable win. Give me your kind of assessment of her demeanour, Ellen, because like you've obviously followed her. I mean, I imagine the first time you saw her play, she was about 14. Uh, about 15, I think. Okay, yeah. there you go. Um, but she, to me... She seems not a totally different person, but a very different person in terms of demeanour, outlook. She just seems happier. Yes, I mean, it is it is nice, isn't it? I think uh, you, you have to just be a human being sometimes and think actually to see a, well, 20-year-old as she probably, as she was last year, mm. you know, looking so stressed and just unhappy, It that's... I don't think anyone can feel good about that, can they? So, mm. or, or should certainly shouldn't feel good about <laughs> that. So, no, to see her come back, she's saying all the right things in terms of, you know, this is a new start for me and I feel the weight's being lifted. But actually, it really seems like she does feel that, you know, and it's not just words because she looks happy, she looks relaxed watching her on the practice court. She see, yeah, she seems to be enjoying herself. She... She seems to be relishing playing tennis again, and and I think it's easy to forget sometimes actually what a what a big talent she is, you know, mm. and how excited we were about her at Wimbledon that year before the U.S. Open to mm. see somebody really somebody young come through like that. It was, uh, yeah, in some ways that's why you follow the sport, isn't it? So, um, yeah, no, I mean, great to see her like this. Hopefully, it lasts. Hopefully she stays fit. I think that's the key to everything, isn't mm. it? As she said, you know, um, yes, it was partly, of course, everything that happened after the US Open and the expectation, the attention, blah, blah, blah. But it was also the fact that she was in pain. And I think anybody who's had any form of chronic pain will know that that it's just very debilitating and mm. it, it gets you down. And so to see her, yeah, able to enjoy tennis and play pain-free, I think that's, that's going to be central to absolutely everything. 
And it was also a reminder, um, if you ever needed any, that she is still very popular. 1573, it, yeah. it's not a big court, it is a, quite a small court, but it was packed. People were, they weren't there to see Shelby Rogers. You know, there were hundreds of people asking for autographs afterwards. And she did actually spend quite a long time on court um, signing autographs and, you know, balls and hats and T-shirts and God knows what else that gets dangled down into the court these days. But yeah, that, that also struck me as well is that she, you know, I sometimes think that the image that gets portrayed in social media is, you know, that she ends up at lots of these corporate events or like, like Porsche or HSBC and... I think actually at the heart of it, she does really enjoy interacting with fans. I think that is something that she actually really relishes. And yeah, probably the fact that she can do it at a tennis tournament and not at you know an event that she's being paid to, to attend is, is probably a bit of a bonus as well. Um, I have one more match I want to talk about, Eleanor, and it probably feels like it happened about three days ago, mm-hmm. which is Iga Shrontek against Sophia <laughs> Kenny. Yes. <laughs> a long, long time ago. It was. Um, Iga Shrontek came for a scare. She was four, five, five, four down in the first set. Um, but then broke back and then won the tiebreak and then it kind of all got away from Sophia Kenin. But probably quite good for Iga Shantek to have a bit of a... just pushed a little bit in the first round. Yeah, no, I think it, I think it is. And uh, it's certainly an interesting draw, wasn't it? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I really like watching Sophia Kenin, I have to say. I like her intensity, you know. Uh, the, the, obviously, the, the weird service motion, which I can still... Even though I've seen it so many times now, every time I'm like, what the hell is that? <laughs> um, yeah, so... No, I mean, I think, yeah, Sviontek will be happy. I think Kenin played very well in the first set. As you say, she had her chances, but Iga didn't panic. Um, she kept her head. She And in the second set, she, she played pretty well, I thought. She cut out the errors. And, yeah, they both just take the ball so early. That's the thing that uh, that really struck me. It was proper first-strike tennis out there. But, mm. no, I mean, I mean, you know, Iga obviously finished last season playing so well, started this season brilliantly at United Cup, and uh, she's um, she's definitely the favourite for me. If you look at her draw, uh, and if we kind of guess who her likely opponents are, you know, Danielle Collins, Linda Noskova, former French Open junior champion, mm-hmm. and maybe Alina Svitolina, I mean, she's going to have to get up to speed pretty quickly there. Danielle Collins, I, I think she probably will will ease aside, but but she'll have to push her pretty hard. As we know, Danielle Collins competes like <laughs> <Yes>. hell, <laughs> she's uh, a to say the least. But, you know, the rest of the, those two other matchups potentially... She's going to have to work really hard to get past them. Yeah, it's a really interesting draw, isn't it? So, yeah, that would be great if she played Noskiva. Obviously, there's lots of uh, expectations around her. And they're not, then, yeah, she lost to Svitolina, didn't she, at Wimbledon? Mm, so, mm. Uh, that would be interesting as well. Uh, but I, I just feel like it's a bit of a, a different eager now. I feel like she's just uber confident, isn't she? And, yeah, I uh, yeah, so just the way that she hits the ball and how early she takes the ball, it's so difficult for anybody to get control of any rallies against her it feels like as soon as she hits the ball she's kind of she's stepping on it and she's right there so um i'm not sure i see any of those players stopping her but mm. uh, yeah it's certainly it's yeah it's, it's interesting isn't it which uh, which is great for the first week kind mm. of often you can get some fairly uh tedious well <laughs> yes i was searching for the right word but yeah yeah you can can't you so uh, and in eager is obviously a, a master at kind of just brushing people aside so it is nice to see her uh, presented with these challenges mm. um i think probably the change in weather might make things a bit different as well uh, hot yes. and bouncy i feel like you don't want to play your at midday 
as things get cooler, the ball gets heavier. I don't know, maybe you still don't want to lay your shunt tape, but um, it, it'll make things at least different. Um, thanks so much for staying up late, Eleanor, and for putting up with me for the last week, <laughs> and hopefully for the next two weeks as well. Um, I'll be back tomorrow. I will once again try and track down Calvin, but this time I'm not going to make any promises. Um, come back tomorrow to find out if I found him. Sports Social Podcast Network.